This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. We're back with Sean Bliznick for part two. We talk about Disney layoffs and staying positive through all of it. Sean has some really great insight at the end as well on fantastic books to read. So I hope you enjoy this episode and keep on keeping on. And I want to talk about how uh, the pandemic, <laughs> let's talk about it, how it's affected. Let's start with teaching and then we'll go into the entertainment. But I'm, I am curious how it's affected um, what you do, how you do, you know, et cetera. Sure. Well, interestingly enough, first, no one thought it would, no one thought it would be what it would be. So in the spring semester, typically, I teach a cruise line operations course. And during spring break, we take, uh, there are two classes. So we take about 65 college students on a cruise during the spring break so they can experience it. And we set up guest speakers and they get to do tours of venues and all sorts of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And <laughs> we, were, we were literally, uh, all of this stuff came to a head. We left on like March 9th and came back on March 15th. Uh, of this year, and literally while we were on the cruise ship, so we sort of got the sign-off from UCF Global. No one had any concerns about it. Spoke to a couple of parents that were like, what's going on? What's not going on? We hear cruise ships are bad. And we were like, well, you know, the, the line, and I won't say the cruise line, it was a fantastic experience, but like the line didn't cancel anything. They've sent, they're doing temperature screenings and all the things that we've come to know to be sort of semi-normal now. Yep. But while we're on there, literally the middle of the week, I'm in talk with our department chair who says, look, UCF is closing. All these students that are in college housing will have to move out the day that you guys come back from the cruise ship. Like the college is shutting down. Like we're not coming back to class after spring break. Like everything is closing. It's hit the U.S. It's now it's like, and it had been in the U.S. at that point for several months. Now that we come to know, you know, sometime in January and we're sort of being told about it sometime in March. And so it was sort of wild because one, you have like, we, we try to keep it as normal as possible. Like me and the other, uh, the other faculty member are like, okay, we're going to keep our schedule as is. We're going to keep things moving as is. And then like I, we had group Facebooks and group chats and I'm sending out a note to all 65. I'm like, Hey, I'll be hanging out at the pizza parlor. So come grab a slice. I need every one of you to come touch base with me. And they're off. We you know we were in port that day and it's crazy to imagine port because we were in Costa Maya and there are three other massive ships from all over the place. And later you find out some of those ships had cases. And we were like walking through Costa Maya with like 18,000 people, yeah. literally three of these mega ships. It's like, that is a, that would be certainly defined now as a super spreader event, right? Like <laughs> we could have taken on each of those cruise ships, but it just goes to show yeah. how sort of uncertain and the flow of information was about how we should be responding to this. So anyways, I'm just checking every kid would, you know, come in and sit down with me and I'd be like, okay, so first, are you okay? Second, can you tell me, you know, where you live? And be like, oh, I'm at this housing. And I say, okay, so when we get back on Sunday, um, you're going to, you have 24 hours, you have to move out of your housing. And it's like this odd blend of like real world, truly intercepting vacation life. And it was a quasi vacation for them. I mean, we were working and we had some class time and some other stuff during that course of that week. Sure. But it was just so crazy how day to day it was just a different thing. And obviously the cruise line was responding and talking about stuff. I've never seen such a, an incredible level, uh, as you know, and we could say unanimously to people who have not cruised before, 
the cruise industry is probably the cleanest in the industry, in the <laughs> hospitality and travel and tourism industry. Yes. And uh, you know, my personal opinion here, the fact that cruise lines have been demonized uh, during this pandemic process and as the source and as spreaders, and while that happened, it can happen in any uh, close contact event. We understand that now. You could get it, and I think the recent stat was like, if you have it, chances are 50% of the chance was you got it by dying at a restaurant, right? Well, we, or the Rose We don't Garden. demonize restaurants. <laughs> yeah, or the road. I was going to say that, and I wasn't sure if you wanted me to or not, but yes, or or the road guard. Um, <laughs> how, uh, so exactly, but it's like right. okay. So what is the situation here? And it's like you know what we witnessed is I witnessed them fabric steaming. You know the chairs and the lounges, which I'm sure is on a rotation. Having lived on a ship, I'm sure that happens. You know, every X amount of days or weeks, as it does to meet guidelines. Of course, but we're yeah. seeing it daily, and the, and the washing down of handrails and the washing down of door. Like they were ready to try to do it, and honestly, they thought uh, that they were continuing the sale. And uh, funny enough, one of uh, one of a, an, an ex DCL performer happened to have just signed a contract with this cruise line and we had an opportunity to meet up and, you know, have a drink at night and touch base with them and see what was going on and get to see him perform again. And was like, Oh yeah, I know they've told us we're just going to stay on the ship. Right. We, you know, you guys are the last ship. We, at some point during that cruise, weren't sure if we were going to be allowed back into Florida, which was interesting. And the captain came over the loudspeaker and said, yes, we're not cutting our cruise short and we are going to be allowed to dock back in Port Canaveral. And we were like, because, you know, obviously all the ports started to close and they were just yep. leaving these ships out in the ocean. So crazy stuff happening. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, they've just asked us. We're just going to sort of hang out on the ship for two weeks, go to their island, do some cleaning, and then wait for cruising to start up again. And I, and I guess what's interesting about that is that's sort of how we all thought. We all thought, okay, Disney thought that way, you know, closing the parks for two weeks. We're, gonna, every, we're just going to stop everything for two weeks and it will go away. Um, and that goes back to communication. We believe that because that was sort of uh, federally the information we were giving, right? That this thing will just disappear. Don't worry about it, everybody. Just put your life on pause, pause for these couple weeks, and then you can return to normal. Yeah. And, of course, we realize that, that is not, that's not how it works, and that's not how it worked, and now the impacts. So uh, that was sort of like a large-scale thing with teaching. But then the rest of the semester went virtual immediately. We came back from spring break. They canceled classes literally for 48 hours for two days. And like that following Wednesday, 100% of the classes had to be up and online. And so it was a Herculean effort from a university standpoint, especially when uh, I have already mixed modes, which means some of my stuff is taught online or a portion of the class is online and a portion of the class is live. So I won't say that my lifting was especially heavy, but I think about those lab-based, the sciences, those lab-based courses, uh, in our college, we have food courses, we have kitchens, they have seminars. So it's just like all of that stuff that that required a live component or an interactive component was suddenly like, well, figure out how to do this uh, online. For you know, at that point, it was about a month before the semester was over. So we wrapped up that semester, summer semester, stayed exclusively online, and here we are in the fall with a, a really heavily modified. There are some, as I've learned, some. Uh, requirements of public universities of which UCF is one because they are partially federally funded that a percentage of classes must be delivered live in order to continue to receive federal funding and you can read through the political structure of that from the federal government to our governor to then what the implications of education right. but so uh, I am teaching this some uh, this semester I have a class that is normally 
a three and a half hour once a week class that is now an hour and 15 minute once a week class live. So we are meeting live. There are 40 students registered. We meet in a 400 seat auditorium. So everybody is masked. All the seats are marked where you can and cannot sit. I'm on a stage with a KN95 mask and a face shield and gloves so that I can touch the laptop and other stuff. And roughly, wow. uh, we were asked to suspend all attendance policies, which is, I think, a reasonable request because we don't really understand how this will impact students. And I think roughly of those 40 students that are enrolled and are still enrolled, I see between 16 and 18 students every Tuesday morning. Wow. So it's about half, less than half, 60, 40% are coming uh, live. Those that are coming live are appreciative of that, and they wanted some kind of live component. Uh, and then all my other classes uh, this semester have been moved uh, fully online. And it's just a very weird environment. I usually, for these live classes, have a very strict attendance policy because it's so discussion and interactive based. And when you throw that out, you just have to be like, okay, this is a weird semester, right? None of us have a full understanding of how we need to go through this semester. So uh, we're just going to, we're going to, I'm going to work everywhere I can. And it goes, there's not a week since the semester started that I have not received an email from a student saying that they have either been exposed or tested positive. Um, and that, and, and in many cases, it's, I don't believe, I know some of the assumptions, some colleagues are like, well, are they lying? Are they telling the truth? I'm like, no, some of them are attaching like their test results, their doctor's note. Like I'm not, I'm not even going to get into the side of the swimming pool where I'm going to debate the validity of their statement. I don't think that's the game that we're in, and I don't think that's how we should be approaching this. Yeah, no. If you're going to tell me you've been exposed or haven't, I'm going to take, I'm, I have no reason to not believe you, right? There's no, you've given me no scenario in which I should assume what you're telling me is untruth. Uh, so right. ultimately, I'm going to assume that it's true, and I'm going to do everything I can, you know, extensions, help you out. You can send these in late. Let me know if you need anything else. And, you know, it's just amazing that in most cases, I don't believe they're even necessarily doing things. I think they're just trying to live their life as a student. And, you know, UCF is 60,000 plus students when it comes down to it. So we're talking about a small city. And yeah, they all are, you know, they're all, they're all super close, right? They're all either in dorms or, and, and the dorms have been set up in ways that certain wings can be for quarantine and, you know, all the things that are in place. But it does feel like our approach to this academic year uh, we're, there will be no live classes after Thanksgiving. So when the Thanksgiving break happens, they suspended live classes, and they did that very early on. And I think it was an understanding that people will travel home, so they could either be exposed or expose others, and then, of course, bring that back to the campus. And then that, those last, literally those last two weeks of the semester could be a huge mess. So I think they were smart in doing that and suspending that, and I know that there are early talks now about what to do with spring break because it will have the same impact if everyone goes home or travels and i don't know how much traveling will still be happening globally and just you know we're talking about march we're just talking about a handful of months but our anticipation from a teaching standpoint is that we will be as much as fully online again in the spring um and they're just sort of taking a semester at a time who knows what next summer will bring or who knows hopefully by next fall maybe more things will be able to be conducted live but the university response has been exceptional um, from expectations uh, they are doing, uh, there is a test site on the main campus as well that's free to students. You can just go, hey, you think, you're not sure, don't worry about it. Just come in and get a test. Uh, obviously, contract tracing is a component of it. Uh, everyone is required, students and faculty and staff are required to wear uh, face coverings. There's limited capacity in terms of if you work in an office, there's sort of a rotating schedule of 
hey, you can come on Mondays and Wednesdays. Your colleague can come Tuesdays and Thursdays. So they're keeping kind of office space, I think, at 30% or below uh, because obviously it's enclosed and circulated air and all of those things. Uh, they're cleaning classrooms in between. There's a class in the auditorium right before I teach, and the entire custodial crew is there ready to go. When those students come out, they go in, they wipe down all the seats, wipe down all the handrails. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's as much as it can be to try to return to some form of normal, right? To try to be like, okay, where we are a business, right? Education is a business, right? There are, oh, yeah. there are things we need to do. There are things we need to do. So how can we do those and how can we make sure we're doing it safely? That's, I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> Thank you for shedding light on that. I had no idea that classes were happening in that fashion. Um, I knew something about the homes, you know, working from home, but not the, um, not that there was any live happening. Um, yeah. And unfortunately I'm very lucky that I can do, I literally go to campus to teach that one hour and 15 minutes on Tuesday mornings, and everything else I do from my home office. So, uh, zoom meetings, faculty meetings, meetings with students, like the, the semester has only changed other than the fact that I can do it in shorts and a t-shirt from my house as opposed to holding meetings in my office on campus. Right. right. <laughs> so, I mean that, but that speaks to, that sort of speaks to just the nature of technology in the world we live in now that we can be as accessible as that we do our deans faculty meetings once a month. It's got like 95 people on a zoom. Everybody's there, uh, go through an agenda like we would in person. So it's just, it's just amazing that you can do that. And there's a certain element of, I like being able to be comfortable and be like, I'm going to take a break and run down and get a cup of coffee and then come back up. Uh, you know, stuff that you can do when you're working from home that you can't, uh, do from your office. And my, unfortunately my, my wife being in the travel industry stuff, she's also doing most of her work from home now too. So it's sort of like, we're just home together all the time, which is perfectly fine. Uh, and the dog, the dog's like, these guys don't go anywhere anymore. I don't know what's happening. Like, <laughs> when are they going to leave the, you know, when are they going to leave the house? <laughs> yeah. Right. When do I get my time? You don't. You're right. <laughs> the, um, the, I want to change gears now from, from the okay. educational standpoint to entertainment, particularly with Disney. It was just in the news that 28,000 jobs have people have lost their jobs either temporarily or permanently across okay. parks, resorts, cruise line, Disney experience, signature experience, yep. all of it. Um, have you been affected by that? Yes. And so, uh, I thought, you know, as you can imagine, my Facebook and Instagram feed are just Disney friends. And over the last week, all I've been watching is just people posting about, you know, a 20 year career, 30 year career, 35 year career, all of this stuff just coming to abruptly to an end. And I thought because uh, we were all under the assumption, there's a couple of Facebook pages for cast members that were furloughed initially, which I was, even though my job is seasonal, was furloughed in April. And then that furlough was extended over the summer because they weren't ready to reopen, primarily because of entertainment, right? Just entertainment is not up and running in the capacity that it was pre-pandemic. And then the weekend happened, and we sort of were under the impression the weekend was when all the quote-unquote calls were going out. That's when everyone was being notified, initially non-union. So as a salaried leader, we're non-union. So they were sort of dealing with all those roles first. Um, and Monday came and it was in the clear. And then Monday afternoon, I got my, uh, faithful, uh, phone call from my general manager who is, uh, my general manager is an ex DCL cruise director. So it's full circle <laughs> in wow. life. Yeah. And, um, and, 
he called saying, how are you doing? And my joke to him was sort of like, I'm doing fine now, but I think that's about to take a turn. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> like I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not calling me to just uh, randomly check in. I think, and indeed, my position has been eliminated in my seasonal position, along with all those other seasonal kind of stage manager positions, along with obviously full-time uh, people and uh, have also been affected uh, and other leaders. And, you know, it was, I have great respect for him. I had great respect for him on the ships. I have great respect for him now. Uh, he is an excellent leader and a good guy and a nice human being. And, uh, you know, my conversation with him was sort of like, yeah, I kind of feel bad for you today because the only phone calls you've been making over the weekend have been to tell people that their careers have suddenly stopped uh, with no chance to process it, with no goodbye, with no, it just stopped. And none of us believed, I mean, I was, I think it was March 6th, uh, just before I left for the students on the cruise, I was working a breakfast shift at the boardwalk with characters and we brought in additional characters because they, you know, and the princesses still came out. We're all sort of doing it. Well, you know, that was when, we weren't sure if you were supposed to wear masks and we weren't wearing masks. Guests weren't wearing masks. Like it was just like trying to figure it out. And no one, I would not have anticipated that that very non-traditional morning at that breakfast location would be my last. Um, yeah. There's no way, there's no way to really prepare for that. And needless to say, uh, Monday was just a rough processing day of just not because, I think really because what the pandemic has taken is just control. It's taken control. Uh, this is not how it would have ended. And obviously my time there wouldn't have ended. So, you know, 18, just over 18 years just comes to a stop and for the foreseeable future. I mean, it wasn't like they just extended a furlough and you still are sort of on the books as an employee. Now we're completely separated. So on December 4th, which will be the separation date for thousands of cast members, so about two months, a little less than two months, uh, thousands of people just won't work for the Walt Disney Company anymore. And it's, I, I have kind of, I, I, I'm sad for myself because it's something I love. Uh, obviously, I love, I love my colleagues. I love what we do. I love what we create. I love the opportunity that I have. I support varied experiences across the resorts and at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So it's, it's such a lively environment. Um, and I, so I have that sort of like, you know, as, as I stand in my office and look around this office, 95% of the things here are, are Disney memories, right? Like it's stuff that I was gifted or given or awards or plaques. Sure. And you look around this room and you're like, and you're like, all of that just came to a stop for, for no control out of anyone. I had no say in it. it really, my direct leaders had no say in it. Um, and the realization that I think uh, that this is, and of course they say, well, you have a rehire status as soon as we get back up and running again. Of course, uh, you know, we'll be looking to bring people back. And I'm like, I'm super appreciative of that. But at the same time, the logical side of me, the non-emotional side says to me, that's not the rest of this year. I don't think that's 2021, maybe summer 2022. Like uh, the projection here in central Florida is like a three year for travel and tourism in general is like a three year return to normal return to pre-pandemic levels. So then take three years to get back to something that looks like that. So I just think that the hope that this is a quick solution and that it will, you know, come back uh, is, is not realistic. Uh, my heart breaks for those. I mean, I also have other work 
I mean, Disney was sort of the, as you joke in the industry, like my side hustle, right? It was the side gig <laughs> that I did that, that, right. that I, that I loved. And so I have a, a main hustle, if you will. Right. So that still works out, but it's just, it's completely devastating because it's also having worked for the company as long as I have, it's a decision that I know that they don't want to make, but have to make. Uh, if they are to stay a viable business and continue to like this slow growth back to normal. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of resorts here in central Florida that aren't even open yet that do not even have an opening date. They don't even know when they're going to have the demand to open some of these hotels. Uh, the hours of the parks are like old school bankers hours. You know, they're open like nine, nine to five <laughs> to three on like, Sunday. I, oh no, they're closed on Sunday. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah cl- right. Exactly. And, and I haven't seen those hours since like, for a short period of time post 9-11, right? Like it right. was like, okay, people aren't flying, people aren't traveling. And there's some equation to that, and they're not the same thing. They're completely different. This this has completely, um, you know, handicapped the entire industry. And the anger side of me comes out and the frustration side of me comes out when I won't say it was, it was not prevent, preventable is not the word I'm looking for, but I can't find the one. But it was, it didn't have to be this severe if action was taken earlier, if information was provided earlier. Uh, you know, and, and certainly Disneyland is still battling to reopen. So the West Coast has not reopened at all. Obviously, Disney Cruise Line has not relaunched. Adventures by Disney has not gone back out. So you're talking about major other parts of the, the experience, parks, resorts, entertainment experiences that are just still sitting, waiting, waiting for someone to say it's okay to do these things. Now, had we been more aggressive domestically about, look at stay away from people, or at least if you can't, just wear a mask, create a, a mandated mask thing. And the, the fact, I know you alluded to it, right, when we were talking before, but like the fact that wearing a mask has become politicized is sort of baffling to me um, in a way that like, I don't think uh, no one says I'm not wearing a seatbelt because the Democrats tell me, or I'm wearing a seatbelt because the re- you wear a seatbelt because you don't want to be an accident and go flying through your window. Yeah. Right. Like it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yes. it, it has nothing to do with it. You wear a mask because we know unilaterally that this is passed through airborne and it can be 12, 15 feet. It could spread and you could walk through it. And to <laughs> your joke earlier, and my thinking was, and we saw that very clearly last week at a public event outside unmasked at the White House, yeah. right? We saw very clearly that this passed. So just put on a damn mask, right? Put yeah. on a mask, and we can return to some form of normal. It frustrates me when it's conflated up to rights and the Constitution. I'm like, no, no. Is it an inconvenience? Do I want to wear it? Mm. Probably not. It's not particularly fashionable, right? I, I don't enjoy wearing it, right. right? Especially in the Florida the Florida heat. I can literally feel when my when I'm teaching with the shield and the mask. I can feel my nose sweating, right? Like so, it's like <laughs> of course, of course, it's not convenient. It's not something I would choose to do, but it's also a really, really simple action that protects my health and protects the health of others. And more importantly, aside from the health, is it helps us to return to something normal at an appropriate pace. Um, and I think in a short period of time, like the guest feedback has been extremely uh, positive when you think about, you know, there are temperature checks everywhere. You go into the park, you're going to get your temperature checked. You walk into a resort, you're going to dine in a restaurant, they're going to take your temperature. No one's fighting to be like, you can't tell me what my temperature is. And they have actively, actively and comfortably wear masks. People are conscious of their spaces. I will say I went to the, I have gone to the parks 
during this break after the reopening in July, mostly from a hospitality sense. I just sort of wanted to see how did it open? Right. You know, how is it going? How does it feel? And, you know, the spacers and the cast members and the presence and the accountability, you know, I think one of the more difficult things for a Disney leader to do is, uh, is call out guests when they're doing something inappropriate at a place where we create magic. Yeah. Right. And I have unilaterally seen my day at, at, at the magic kingdom where leaders will go around and say, I'm sorry, your mask has to cover both your nose and your mouth. The fact that the knowledge, the general public knowledge gap is that things that happen in the air only happen out of your mouth is also baffling, but I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> right. Like, it, it, right, it's both things, people. It is both things. I can't believe and it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just can't believe Wearing it under your chin protects nothing, right? Like, so I just think it's interesting, yeah. and that's a difficult conversation to have. And, and, and I just sort of sit back and watch, and people respond immediately. They're like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Like, it's not, it's, it's not a big deal. And I think maybe I'm, if we're looking at a study, like, I'm seeing the people that are okay with that. They've chosen to come to Disney because they know the rules. And those that wouldn't wear masks or wouldn't want to do that or wouldn't want a temperature check are are just not coming. So it's it's yeah. sort of an unfair analysis. an unfair analysis that the people that want to be there and I would make the argument perhaps need a little magic and happiness in their lives now more than before March yeah. um, are there because of those reasons because it is a break. But it's just it, it's hands down been a surprisingly smooth. Uh, you know, I feel as safe, in most cases, felt safer going to the theme park than I do potentially walking through a local uh, grocery store or department store, right? Although most of them, and I'm in Orange County, which still has a mask uh, mandate and social distancing guidelines, even though it seems the state is confused about whether they should have that. So it, it's still been pretty much upheld. But it's like, all right, so now how does this apply? Well, you know, what do I tell these students? They're like, I'm going to enter the industry. Uh, you are. I don't know when. Right. Right. No. It's sort of like it's it's sort of like graduating in oh eight oh nine, right? When the economy fell out, and you're like, okay, I'm ready for a job, and you're like, whoa, there are no jobs, right. and now you're like, I've done all this stuff, and we're so connected. Rosen has built an unbelievable connection to the industry. So from internships to guest speakers to workshops to seminars, it's just so integrated with helping these students immediately they graduate have a job in the industry. And obviously, all of that has changed. Internships, some are happening in person, most are not. People aren't coming to campus to speak. We're not holding live. You know, I'm doing a late night Zoom tonight with students who are incoming students, and they can ask questions about the programs. That would have been a live session, right? But obviously, we have figured out through technology how to make it happen at night uh, and happen virtually, which is great. But there's a slow, there will be a very slow return to normal, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. And it's oh, interesting yeah. now you challenge and you think, okay, now you just think about life choices, right? Okay, I, I, have, I came to Florida, as I told you, in a U-Haul truck to work for Disney. Disney's been removed from the equation completely um, for X amount of years. Well, does that mean I recalibrate any other parts of my life? I don't know. Uh, so it's just super, it's a very strange you know, I, I know all the memes and the jokes. Like, I long for precedented times, right? Like, I long, right. I long for things <laughs> we were, you know, sort of semi-normal, um, and you just went out and you lived. I mean, this has forced us to slow down, obviously, and, and just take stock and recalibrate and figure out what's important in life and what's not important and what you're willing to, like, risk your own, your own health for. You know, what I love to, uh, we have found one, there's one local restaurant that has done an amazing job. They were closed forever, 
And when they reopened, every booth had a full partition. Now, full partition, you need wow. masks, all the other things. And it's like, man, they, they spent the time, energy, and dollars um, to make sure. And I think, I think it goes back to where we started. It's values aligned, right? Why do, they, why do they exist as an organization? Yeah, they exist. They make great food. But they exist because they understand that they're serving people and they want people to be safe. And so they've just they've made the investment to make people safe. And it's like the one place that we will go and sit inside a building and have a meal and feel like, ah, this is what life felt like before this. <laughs> With the face shield. It's... Um... It's, I was at, I was at Disney world too in August and I cannot imagine myself going back there when it's full capacity. It was like, how did I yeah, ever stand this close to this many people, you know, and they've gone to right. the it's, great, they put in like permanent partitions in the waiting queues, yep. which is like, how have those not been there before? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. it's like, oh my God, I love it. You know, and it's also completely raised because I, I don't really go out unless it's, you know, grocery shopping or, you know, but after going right. to Disney, I was like, my standards are so high for every other <laughs> establishment that's open. Right. Yeah. And as a result, I and you're right. don't go into any. Well, and it's crazy. It, it's funny to watch because for decades, right, Disney has conditioned people to do what? Get as close as possible to this other person you don't know, right? Like, I that's know, just, I that's, know. That's part of the math of theme park. And that's not just Disney. That's every theme park. Fill in all available space, move into the entire row. And now the model is the complete opposite. And you sort of, you know, you saw those markers on the ground that are like, stand here, stand here, and they move you. Although most of them are well more than six feet. Yeah. And it's like, you can see people catching themselves, like they move up and then they're like, oh, damn, I didn't, I, I shouldn't have moved up. Let me move back. Because we're just so conditioned. And then you're suddenly like, oh no, I have to re, I need to recondition myself. But I feel the same way. Uh, we, um, my wife and I did for the, the Hollywood studios has not been accessible to cast members for a long time because of the new, the new attractions that went on there. And so we went, um, one day we just went, we said, we're going to go, uh, we're going to be fully shielded up, we're going to go into this thing and see how it works. And it felt uh, very congested. And I think, and that is this very low capacity, and I think part of the problem is, one, it's the smallest uh, sort of of the parks. It has the fewest, fewest active attractions, and I know some things have reopened. I know they reopened the Frozen sing-along, which is a live stage show, so that's a good sign in the right direction that there's live entertainment returning uh, in a larger capacity. And, but you're just like, I mean, you have all these people that are concentrated at the new things, right? That are at, that are in Galaxy's Edge and that are over at the new Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway. And you're like, this feels like it's like right on the edge of being like, this is too many people. Um, and it's just because you have to space everybody else. You're spacing hundreds of people out. There's only so much space to do that. So to your point, I don't really know at some point, and I feel like it has started to happen because I just watched the blogs and the other not an official Disney stuff and they're posting pictures and you're like, this seems like this is busier than it was a month ago. Uh, so I have no, I'm, I'm saying this with no factual knowledge at all, but it certainly appears and feels like some level of increasing has happened. I do know that some of the resorts have opened capacity. So if I now have more people there, they have to have a place to go. So it stands logically again with no proof at all that this is happening other than my own eyes and just seeing physically more people. Yeah. It does feel like at some point it's going to get a little, a little on the dicey end, but you would hope that that will start to happen in a way where it's going to be okay. As long as, you know, as long as people maintain some type of covering and stuff that 
it will be okay to be outside in a line and, you know, four feet, if that's, if that's the case. Since this six feet was the standard and now we're going, well, it can really pass up to 15 feet and 15 feet from an operation standpoint is just impossible. Could you imagine if every family had to be 15 feet away? Plus no one human, I don't mentally know what 15 feet looks like, right? Like no one sort of six feet are like, ah, it's sort of like an adult human, right? I have some idea of that space. But if I were to tell you, could you stand 15 feet away from me? It'd be like, you know, Laurel and Hardy sketch. It'd be like, I don't know, is it here? Is it there? Is it, you know, you just would have no, no idea of what that looks like. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation, but yeah, I'm with you. I felt super safe. They take, have taken all precautions and they waited approximately. This is not good, bad or indifferent, but Disney opened about six weeks later than universal and SeaWorld. and universal and SeaWorld also put in some of the same precautions and I would have to imagine it's just about scale and scope, as you, as you mentioned, like there are full barriers now and queues that weren't there. And it just physically took time to make those, install them, create a train people on how to deal with it and, you know, and stuff of that nature. But I definitely felt safe, but it definitely also at times felt like, man, this feels like this is a little bit more than it should be. Yeah, I noticed at Animal Kingdom, it definitely felt tighter than Magic Kingdom. And I cannot imagine even, you know, going back to the cruise line, what um, a guest drill would look like <laughs> at the beginning of a yeah, cruise right? when you have 5,000 guests on one deck. It's, I don't yeah, know. It's, it's sort of crazy. It's crazy to imagine. I know they're floating. I don't know that uh, Port Canaveral had a meeting and some stuff came out from that, that I think Disney is maybe floating, or at least it's reported that they're floating like a 70% occupancy, which you know, certainly there were probably times during your contract where that was the number on the ship for whatever reason. It was just off season or there it was in between holidays or wherever. And I still don't know when you think about those spaces, when you think about the atrium and the amount of stuff that happens there or the Walt Disney Theater, right? You do just some simple math. There's not enough show offerings for every guest to already see what's being offered in the Walt Disney Theater. And that's, that's not a bad scheduling and that's just math. That's just how many people and how many seats and how many times that's basic math. Right. So I can't imagine if you then have to cut that theater in half or spacing, I mean, you'd just be doing shows all day long. Um, and is it, you know, is it far enough away and what is the testing situation? Are they cruises to nowhere? Are they like, Hey, we'll pick you up in Canaveral. We're not getting off anywhere. Or do you just do double dip castaway where they can control it? Cause it's their own Island. It's going to be really interesting to see, I think, is it possible? Yes, because there are some, MSC has already launched in Europe. Some cruise lines have returned to a very controlled itinerary and controlled guest count and have reported no incidences, no surges in cases. So and I think we're going to see it's possible. And as I said before, and as you're aware, certainly the ships are already clean, right? When DCL, when Disney can get 100% on their USPH, um, you know, their public health screening, in times that were before this, I'm certain they would get 100% on times where they now need to do even more. Uh, it's just, I think it's just going to be a question of small spaces all, all over. And like, how do you manage small spaces and how do you manage high traffic spaces? And yeah. I mean, I think it can be done. I do. Just I don't, have, I, I, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't have the solution. No, no, yeah, that's all. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. We yeah. agree. That's the uh, we agree. Yes. <laughs> we agree. It's it's the speculation on it is so mind boggling. We'll see. We'll just have to see. I know. Same with live theater in New York City. It's who knows. Right. Who really knows? 
Um, this conversation has been so fantastically incredible. I'm going to use every great word I have. The <laughs> I think it's important to touch on these in ways I haven't talked about it from a logistical standpoint uh, at this length with anyone. So I appreciate you sharing it um, on the show. As we oh, as course. we do wrap up here, I'm curious. Uh, are there any? And I know this this may be a great question for the professor and you. Uh, recommended books that you love or books you've gifted that uh, speak on life, leadership, theater. Does anything come to mind? I have two that are interesting, and I actually use both in classes for different reasons. Um, well, more than two. From a theater perspective, I'm not sure if you're aware of. So Jeffrey Denham wrote A Year with the Producers, and it was his journey from auditioning for Susan Stroman to going on as Matthew Broderick's understudy. Um, and he just, he literally just daily journaled it. And I actually use his book, Unbeknownst to Him, <laughs> uh, in my entertainment business class when we talk about the performing arts. Because I think what he does exceptionally well, and Matthew Broderick even wrote it, uh, wrote, wrote it, boy, wrote the <laughs> foreword to it as well. But I think what's super interesting is just that it's a very real, real emotional daily account. He was in Cats at the time. He goes to the auditions. You know, Cats closes. He gets this opportunity, multiple callbacks. Uh, and he talks about the relationship with Susan Stroman and her approach and then working with Mel Brooks and then just the whole energy of Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick and all of this stuff. And I think, I think I found it, I read it just to read it offline. And then I suddenly I came back to teaching and was like, I think it's a really great book that captures the journey of a performer. And I think it does a great job of capturing sort of the emotional life and then the excitement of being part of this thing that turned into a mega hit. I mean, I think people know or feel when shows are going to be successful. And them. I think we all feel all of them will be successful, especially if you're involved in it because of the blood, sweat, and tears that it takes to create these. Um, and then you're like, oh, man, no one came to see that. Why did nobody come to see that? Uh, and then you have cult favorites. Like we, we saw Beetlejuice um, last September, and my wife fell in love with it and is like falling all. And then like we had almost planned. We're like, okay, well, we can go back up to go see their closing night. Or And she's not a huge theater person, so for her to be like, that was amazing and fun and enjoyable and all that stuff. And then, of course, you know, they're a great example of having the rug completely pulled out of them. So the show would close, and then you're going to close even earlier because Broadway is closed. Yeah. Um, and I saw Carrie Butler, Carrie Butler posted on her Instagram the other day that they got to go back um, to the theater, and her plant, some of her plants were still alive. So <laughs> I think what's super interesting, so from a theater perspective, I think, I think it captures a nice perspective for those in the industry as well as for those who just simply enjoy it and are curious to see that, yes, it can be glamorized, but it's also, this is just hard work, talent, education, training. It's just all of those things on it all at once. Yes. So from that yeah. side, the, the one that I have always used for leadership, because I think it's a leadership book that doesn't know it's a leadership book, is Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull, who is one of the co-founders of Pixar. And he just really talks, his journey of being a scientist and a computer programmer and sort of getting involved with John Lasseter at the time and Steve Jobs, and then finding himself, quote unquote, as a leader, as a manager of teams. And then what does that look like? Uh, he has his PhD in like some form of computer engineering, 
type stuff and, you know, was doing that. And then suddenly he's le- leading these creative teams that are creating cartoons about robots in space and cooking rats. Right. So it, it was <laughs> yeah. a complete, it was a completely different shift. And I think what makes it really digestible as a leadership book is it didn't start out by saying this book is about leadership and I'm going to tell you all the great things I did. And I think, uh, I think that's refreshing because you can just see it through the stories, through the examples he gives. And I think that really plays well. And the last one, sorry, I'm going to just dig it out of the bag here. Oh yeah, please. That I would recommend. One other I'd recommend to you is called originals and it's called how nonconformists move the world. And it's by Adam Grant. And I just saw yesterday, uh, who has also wrote a book called Give and Take, but he just, I saw him post on his Instagram that he has a new one uh, publishing. Uh, there's a new book coming out. So uh, Cheryl Sandberg, the CFO from Facebook, wrote the foreword and, and talks lovely, and she has lots of great stuff out there too. But it's sort of like each chapter is sort of a case study about how I would make the argument how right brain thinkers or traditional right brain creative people have the ability to kind of shift and move the world. So um, Leadership Creativity, Inc., The Arts, uh, Entertainment Business, and a nice look, I think, of the year with the producers. And then this more kind of blended, well-rounded one, Originals. I those are my it. three for you. I love it. I haven't read any of those. <laughs> I have to, I have oh, to I'll right. start. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to actually read them in the order you recommended them. I like them. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, before, before we end here, is there anything else that you would like to add to this conversation? Uh, no, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you. I hope um, you find this useful. I hope the listeners find this useful. And certainly, I'm willing to continue the conversation if anyone reaches out to you and make sure they ha- you have my email or stuff if people want to drop a line or just chat about how they're processing all of the things that are happening in the world around them and still trying to carve a, part, uh, carve a path to like creativity and fulfillment. I mean, I think ultimately... Uh, what makes this possible. The last thing I would leave you with is we must continue to take care of each other, number one, but we must continue to do the things we love, even if the things we love have been eradicated from our lives. I mean, to your point, Broadway closed, which I was a regular attendee of these degrees in theater, so that business is closed, then school's closed, now Disney is closed. So it was like everything that I've spent my life creating all sort of stopped in 2020. Um, But we can't let that stop us. No, no, we can't. And you might have just answered this question, but uh, metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? I don't want to be as cliche as follow your dreams, but I, I, I think it's some <laughs> iteration of that. I don't, have, yeah. I don't have the right wording of that, but I think it just has to be, you always, I say this to the students that are entering, especially entering the entertainment business and they want to be artist managers and they want to run festivals and they want to run this. And like, there are so many jobs you could do that you will hate for your life, right? Like there are so many things you can do that will pay the bills that will be miserable and you will live an unfulfilled life. And I say, you know what? Do the things that fulfill you. And if one month you're on ramen and the next month you're on steak, then so be it. Your body will still be nourished. You know what I mean? But what's more important is your soul has been nourished. Your humanity has been nourished. And I think that's so much more important. I love that. Do the things that fulfill you. I really love that. I really love this conversation, Sean. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Clay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Sean Bliznick. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore entertainment X underscore. 
If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 